Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. And don't let me forget the Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. Our listener support campaign continues. You can become one of our Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go over to Patreon.GreatDetectives.net. Well, today we're going to present Top Secrets of the FBI. This was a series hosted by Melvin Purvis. Purvis was a very successful FBI agent really key in the hunt for Pretty Boy Floyd, and and as the episode states, he was known as the man who got Dillinger. He left the FBI in 1935, released an autobiography, and uh, also uh, returned to practicing law, and uh, then entered uh, World War II, as a colonel and intelligence officer and helped compile evidence for the Nuremberg trials. Now, as for the series itself, uh, it was an unauthorized series, which means the FBI did not cooperate in it. And I can't even find confirmation that it went to air. I kind of assumed that it did because a couple of of different sources referenced it as short-lived, which... I kind of implied that it saw the light of day. Well, let's go ahead and listen to today's episode. The title is The Case of the Best uh, Pocket Broadcasting System. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents... Top Secrets of the FBI. From the files of the FBI. The dramatic highlights in the fight against crime by the most efficient, the most scientific law enforcement organization in the world. Based on actual cases. Tonight's case, the best pocket broadcasting station. Reported by Melvin Purvis, former ace agent of the FBI, and the man who got Dillinger. Melvin Purvis. The case of the West Pocket Broadcasting Station was one of the most interesting and unusual cases in modern scientific crime busting. But it wasn't so because of the crime. That was old stuff. Or because of the criminals. They were smart with old stuff, too. It was interesting and unusual because of the way the crime-busting scientists of the FBI cracked this case. We start about eight months ago. It's close to one o'clock in the morning. And along a deserted section of the New Jersey coast, the fog is coming in so thick you can almost bite it. At a given carefully selected point, two men walk back and forth along the rocky shore. 
They've been walking that way for some time, and they are not happy. Boy, what a night. What do you want me to do about it? Blow it away? Okay, okay, Tony. You don't have to get sore. I'm sick and tired of hearing you gripe about the weather. What else we got to talk about? Why talk? It's natural. Got a match? No smoking now. I told you that before. Who's going to see me in this bar? You dumb clerk. Why, Steve Martin sent me out with a guy I'm like you. I'm hungry for smoke. That's all. Well, forget it. Sure, you got the matches. Hey, Tony. Yeah. Think them guys will get here tonight? Steve Martin said they would. They're an hour late. You want to go back to New York? I would have to stop. Then shut up. Suppose... Oh, for the love of Mike. Now listen, Tony, we got to figure. Now, what would happen if we walked back into Steve's apartment with nothing? We learned to play the harp. Gee, wouldn't be our fault, neither. Those guys could have got picked up by the Coast Guard. What? You know, a motorboat on the ocean on a night like this? Look, Gal, you want to do me a favor? Sure. Shut up. Now listen, Tony. Shut up. Tony, the signal. Wait a minute. Okay, Alec, coming ashore. We'll be on our way back to New York in a couple of minutes. Just a minute. For you, Steve. It's about time. Go ahead, Tony. We just drove into New York with the stuff, boss. What took you so long? The boat didn't show up till after one o'clock. There was fog. How much did you get? 150, Steve. What? I told him what you said, 200 or better, but Why, they couldn't. Why, that... Get here right away. Well, Steve, how much? 150, Mona. Hmm, not bad. We're still in business. Ah, those punks could have let me have what I asked for. What's another 50? Steve, the things you get excited about. I'm sick of being small time. You got a shipment, didn't you? Be satisfied. Nuts. 150 times 200 is still 30,000. Half that dough is mine. I pay for the stuff on the line. That leaves 15. Profit. What about my expenses? Ah, stop complaining. You've been clearing 100 grand a year out of this racket. What more do you want? Oh, there are guys mopping up millions. Sure, sure. But what happens to them? Huh? They get too big. And then guys with handcuffs go after them. <laughs> They'll never get me. You're too smart. Yeah. Well, let me rattle off the names of all the big shots in prison. You're forgetting something. The cops know all about me now. But they can't touch me. That's because you can cover up. You're not too big. They'll never be able to touch me. What are you going to do? I'm calling the pool in South America for more stuff. Thanks for listening to me, darling. I'll see you in the slaughterhouse. What's that? The slaughterhouse, Steve, where all the juicy pigs wind up. Are you calling me a pig? Stick with those ideas, and before long, I'll be calling you pork chop. Well, you jerk. Honey, you wouldn't slap the face you've kissed a thousand times, would you? 
No, you're so loyal. I don't get you, Mona. What have you got against making more dough? Nothing. If it's only dough you want. What else? Power. What's wrong with it? The result. How would you like to make more money without taking chances? Huh? And with no more investment than you've got now. What's this? A new angle? No, an idea. Sit down, honey child, and listen. And when I'm through talking, you'll want to kiss the face you are ready to slap. That was the beginning of an underworld business conference, a sort of meeting of the board of directors. And when the board adjourned, the price of the product was up from $200 an ounce to a point slightly above the clouds. Inflation. But things were moving up somewhere else, too, in the New York field headquarters of the FBI. Several weeks after the above-mentioned board meeting, the district attorney of New York County came in to see the man in charge of the field office. Let's call him Smith, for reasons of security. After the D.A. left, Smith was for, we'll call this fellow Jones, Special Agent Jones. The same reasons of security. What's up, Chief? Another assignment, Jones. Come in. Sure. The district attorney? Yes. I was ready to bet on it. He looked worried when he came out of here. He's got plenty of reason to be worried. There's a narcotics ring operating right in the middle of town. Heroin. Oh? Anybody we know? Not yet. But from what the D.A. told me, they're a very smart bunch. They usually are, Smith. Until the wagon pulls up. Uh, it's not going to be that easy, Jones. The police know every member of this gang from the top dog down. Oh? But they haven't been able to make an arrest. Every time a detective's been put on their trail, he's been spotted. How do you account for that? I don't. Except maybe an inside line to what the police department's thinking? Yes. I'm sure it's nobody in the department itself. I hope not. I got a hunch it's some crooked politician who knows how to get information without paying for it. Yeah. What's the DA say about that? He's checking. But we're not waiting for a report. Yeah. Take a look at these pictures. Hmm. Rogue gallery, huh? The DA brought them over. The duplicate. That one you're looking at now is Tony Spar. Record six arrests, two convictions, one suspended sentence. Mm-hmm. The other one's Al Nash's. Record three arrests, one conviction. Where'd he get that broken nose? Used to be a prize fighter. Are these the boys running the show? No. These characters and about 14 others work for Steve Martin. Martin? What's he look like? No picture. Oh? He knows how to duck. Maybe. But we'll know for sure when you met the gentleman face to face. Anytime you say, Smith. And the lady. Oh? Picture? Yeah. Hmm. Too bad she isn't. Isn't what, Bill? A lady, Mr. Smith. <laughs> Her name's Mona Manchester. Record one arrest, one conviction, sentence suspended. You got a reputation for being very clever. All right, what's the plan of attack? Tony Spar and Al Natchez hang out in the pool room on Ninth Avenue. Evenings after nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Establish contact with him, but uh, take it easy. Tony's a tough customer, hard as rock. What about Al Natchez? He's all muffled, but he's not too bright. And according to the D.A., he's got a well of tears for anybody in trouble. 
How do I make them flow? I'll tell you exactly how to do it, Jim. Maybe if we're lucky, you'll go swimming in that river right to Steve Martin's door. A nine ball in the corner, Tony. Okay, by me. Ah! You made it your life. Yeah. And I cut the belly off. That, that was a nice shot, mister. Huh? Who asked you, buddy? Um, sorry, I... I was beating you, Tony. Can a guy play me a cop? I don't want no kibitzes in my game. If he wants to watch, let him. But with his trap shut. What a guy. He's shooting now. Those ball inside, Park. Hey, Tony. Yes? Come on, Okay. Hold the game, Al. I'll be right back. Gee, what a guy. Don't mind him, buddy. He's a sore loser. I wasn't intending to start an argument, Al. Yeah, you see, somebody made a good shot, and that's who you want. Hey, how'd you know my name? I... I heard Tony. Oh, oh, sure. Well, uh, if you stick around, maybe after I trim the slug of me and you will play a cheap game, huh? Ten bucks? I, uh, I don't play, Al. It broke? Oh, no, no, I... I got money. Okay, I'll spot you 15 points. No. 20 points. I can't, Alan. It's not the 10 bucks. Here. You can see for yourself. Hey. What at some what? 400 bucks. I got loads more in the bank. My nerves are shot. I can't concentrate. What's the matter with you? I got banged up by a truck a couple of years ago. I just got out of the hospital. Oh, gee. Two years on my back with a busted head and busted legs and all kinds of rips and tears inside. He had to feed me drugs to keep the pain from driving me nuts. Gee, what can happen to a guy? It's all right while I was in the hospital. I got the stuff every day. Every day until I got used to it. And they sent me home. They did me a big favor and sent hey, me hey, home. Hey, you got to take it easy now, pal. The trucking company did me a big favor, too. Settlement of 50,000 bucks. I was going to sue him for 100. You mean you got 50 grand for that accident? Yeah. What you used to go to court and using up a lot of time. Sure, sure. So I got the money. What's the good of it? The thing I need most, the one thing I... I'm... I'm sorry, Al. What for? Oh, me telling you about my troubles. And I don't even know you. When you're alone and you got no friends... What's your name? Jones. Where do you live? Park Hotel. It's a fancy place. Well, why shouldn't I live in a fancy place? Oh, I got money. Okay, okay. Don't get mad at me. Oh, that's, that's the way I've been since I got out of the hut. Jumping all the time. If I can only get some of it. How, how's the guy go about it? How? Why ask me? I'm asking a lot of people. The bellhops at the hotel, one of them told me about the pool room, some of the pool rooms in this neighborhood. Yeah? He said peddlers hang out in them, but he didn't know what he was talking about. I've been to all of them. Sure. Uh, pick around, boy. I want you to give Tony the whole story, just like you told it to me. Oh, what good will that do? What's the matter with you, bud? You're so dumb, you don't even catch on to an idea. Huh? Gee, you are dumb, all right. What a guy. Tony was sure he'd call me by 11.30. Yeah, just have to sweat it out, Jim. I'm beginning to wonder. Huh? What about? 
By phoning him at the pool room. It got him away from Al, Chief. Yes, but did that bad connection business fool him? I think it did. He was ready for murder when he came out of that booth. It wasn't an act. Well, he almost had a fight with the owner of the place. Told him to take his lousy phone, and Al had to use all his muscles to get Tony away from the man. And the three of us went to a bar, a few drinks, and Tony was with me. I hope. Uh, you better get in the closet and find out who it is. All right. Who's there? Bell, officer. Miss Mason. Open up, Jones. Yes? Wonderful, Mr. Jones. Came by messenger. Well, thanks. Here you are. Buy yourself a new shoe shine. Thank you, sir. Well, let's find out, huh? That may be it, Jim. Yeah, it is. The Midtown Hot School. The man phoned at 11.35 and asked about me. No name, of course. Naturally. The floor nurse told him I was discharged eight days ago. We're in, Jones. Tony and Al have taken your case to Steve Morton. He checked you at the hospital. Now... Answer it quick. You're supposed to be sitting on it. Flo. All right, Jones. Yes, yes, who's it? Tony Spart. Tony, I thought you weren't going to call. Be on Riverside Drive at 10 o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow? Why do I have to wait? Because that's how the boss wants it. All right, 10 o'clock. Where on Riverside Drive? 110th Street. Pick a bench nobody's sitting on. Yes, yes, anything you say. If there ain't no such bench, then you'll stand away from people. You get it? Of course. Will you bring the stuff? Maybe. What about money? How much? Flo. Hello? He hung up, Smith. Uh, those birds don't take any chances. They'll tell you how much tomorrow after you've been sized up by an expert. And don't think I won't be listening. And don't think I won't. I'll be parked in a truck about three blocks away, taking it all down. The truck. Yes. An ordinary long-distance moving van, completely enclosed. But inside... Testing, Chief. Be ready to start at zero. Right? Give me a level. Okay, perfect. That's it. That was it. Inside the truck, a completely equipped radio receiving station with timetables for recording a rendezvous three blocks away or a mile away if it had to be, and the broadcasting station, well, that was in Jones's vest pocket. A disc, no, no bigger than a quarter, but complete down to a fine point. And in the lining of Jones's vest, a wire that ran from the pocket to the top button of his vest. Yes, that top button was the microphone, but nobody would guess it in a million years. It looked just like the other five buttons. <laughs> Smith and company were all set up in the truck. The equipment was in motion and ready for action. Three blocks away, at 110th Street and the drive, Jones was sitting on a bench. It was a pretty nasty morning, raw and chilly, and the street was practically deserted. Then, at exactly 20 minutes past 10... Hello. Mind if I sit down? What do you want? Thanks. I thought you might want company. No, no, I'm waiting for somebody. Go away, will you? Think it's going to rain? I don't know, I don't care. But if you're going to sit on this bench... Just a minute. You don't have to run away from me. I'll go on my own. Sit down. 
I'm only trying to be sociable. Let go of my arm. Boy, are you wild in the eyes. What are you looking around for? Honey, but... Nobody looks like that. He's expecting someone he wants to see. You've got terror in your face. You'd have to. He was supposed to be here at 10 o'clock. He's not coming, Murray. He's got to. He knows what I'm... You know my name. I know a lot about you, Cokie. Sit down and tell me all about your accident. You gave him Tony. You brought the stuff. No. No. Good grief. What are you trying to do to me? Stop screaming, sugar. You'll start a riot. When can I have it? Come on now. You don't have to get excited. Mona's got such a big heart. Please, please. If you've got it, give it to me. I don't know how much money you want, but we'll get a cab and I'll take it out of my bank. Any amount you say. You're really hungry, aren't you? Any amount you say. Okay, the stuff costs five hundred an ounce. You've got to buy five ounces. How how much is that all together? Twenty-five hundred dollars. looking for paradise. Uh-huh. Hiya, Maury. Oh, well. Hello, Tony. Yeah. Come here, John. Stop trembling, huh? They're going to hit you. Where is it? Right there on the table. In that tin box. Here, Get... put it down. What? Down, Jones. Back on the table. But it's mine. I told you he was a dumb guy, puss. You don't know nothing. Okay, Al. Well, I want to hear yeah, sure, you. Sure, sure. Why can't I take it? It's mine. For 2,500 bucks, Jones. Oh, Oh, the money. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. You forgot all about it, didn't you? I'm, I'm sorry, Steve. Here. Twenty-five, $100 bills. Mm-hmm. Did you count them on it? I thought you might like to do that, honey. Did you go to the bank with him? Only as far as the front door. Why didn't you go inside? Discretion, dear. Why, you... D- Here, check this dough. Good morning, Steve. The teller gave it to me. Shut up, Jones. Go on, Mona. All right. I don't mind. And take it good. I'll use the microscope. Microscope? That's what she said, pal. You've got one in the other room that never lies. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't. Look, phone the bank and ask them if I withdrew $2,500. The teller at the third window from the door. Relax, Jones. Your dough's okay. Then why don't you let me take that stuff and go home? Just want to be sure, that's all. I learned a few lessons before I bought that microscope. Some wise guys handed me phony bills. Yeah, but and the I... bank threw them right back at me. I was stuck. Give me a break. Pinch that stuff. Just, just a pinch. You can't have the whole box. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Steve. After your dough's been approved. Good Lord, what do you... Steve. Yeah? You better start thinking of how to get rid of that guy. Huh? He's been kidding us. He's not a hop. What do you mean? Those bills he gave us. Funny? They're marked. What's this? He's given us marked money, Steve. I checked a few of the bills. There's something on each one. Where? Right in the picture. In one of the eyes. Uh-huh. Well, Jones? It's impossible. I got that money from the bank. Mona knows what she's talking about. She's checked a lot of hundred-dollar bills. Look, do me a favor, will you? Phone Al. me. Al. What? But don't! But... That means shut up, Jones. Say, Tony. Yeah? Don't use that gun in here. Why not? It's a steady ride. I don't want the neighbors to complain. Now, put your hands up, Mr. Jones. Al's going to frisk you. He ain't a lot of sport. That's good. 
Now, I'll take everything out of his pockets. Okay, I'll hand it to Mona. She can check. I don't know why you're doing this to me. Still kidding, aren't you? All right. <laughs> What's your racket, mister? Tony. Yeah? Break his nose with that gun. It'll be a pleasure. Wait a minute. Listen, Jones, or whatever your name is. There are two ways of dying. Peaceful and in agony. Now, take your choice. Steve, I checked everything in this jacket. Nail file, cigarettes, and a wallet. With 400 in cash. Keep the 400. Al, dig into his other pockets, pants and vest. I was just going to for it. Well, Jones, have you made up your mind? Okay, Tony. Right across the nose. Don't move hey. any of you. Tony! Stay put, you. He's my pal. He'll be all right. Next time he won't shoot without counting up to ten. Hello, Joe. I'm glad to see you, Smith. <laughs> oh, Brett. A racketeers with a microscope. What next? Take him away, boy. Yes, a West Pocket Broadcasting Station did that. But if anybody thinks he can find it just by pulling at the top button of a vest, here's something for the memory book. The gimmick can be anywhere. So can the agent of the FBI. And what's more, he can be anybody. Steve, Mona, and all the runts in their gang were sent away for a long time. No more director's meeting for them. And the crooked politician? Well, he's not political anymore. He's learning to make shoes in one of the federal prisons. The report you've just received was based on an actual case from the files of the FBI. However, the names of all characters used were fictitious. And any resemblance to the names of people, living or dead, was entirely coincidental. Top secrets of the FBI are dramatized by Stedman Cole, produced and directed by Roger Bauer. The music was composed and conducted by Sylvan Levin. In tonight's cast, you heard former agent of the FBI, Melvin Purvis. Smith was portrayed by Sidney Smith. Jones by Bill Quinn. Steve Martin by King Calder. Tony Spar by Larry Haynes. Al Natchez by Joseph Julian, and Mona Manchester by Julie Stevens. Next week, Melvin Purvis, former ace agent of the FBI, the man who got Dillinger, will give you another report based on inside facts. The case of the New York Rendezvous. Join us next week at the same time with Melvin Purvis when you'll hear... Top Secrets of the FBI. From the files of the FBI. Welcome back. Well, the idea of wearing a wire is not novel today, but the idea of, uh, I think back in 1947, was much more so. I can't actually recall an episode of Dragnet. There may have been over the course of that run where they used a uh, wireless microphone. Usually when they used a microphone in Dragnet, which is, again, I said it was a later series, 
Uh, it would be somewhere that they would have to be planted in the room where they were trying to do their sting. But it was a little bit novel anyway. Um, I think that in some ways the name uh, probably sets things up for a bit of disappointment. Uh, because if they actually played stuff uh, about things that were top secret at the FBI... Uh, somebody would end up going to jail. Or there would be very strongly uh, communicated issues with the radio network. A program that actually aired top secrets of the FBI would not actually happen. But this uh, does focus on what was a newer technology at the time. I do think, even if this is a pilot, you do want to show a little bit more imagination uh, and doing their own version of the names have been changed to naming the people Smith and Jones uh, probably doesn't quite uh, do that. There were a couple of familiar voices in this. Uh, we got to hear Sidney Smith, who voiced Ellery Queen for a while, and Larry Haynes, uh, who starred in Manhunt, Easy Money, and as one of the uh, two actors to play Mike Hammer, in my opinion, uh, the better of the two performers we have, and also generally plays in anything that uh, comes out of uh, New York. Uh, eventually, uh, Larry Haynes would end up getting, being cast. Now, I do want to go ahead and explain what we're planning for Saturday. Uh, of course, we're playing this this week, and then the next two weeks, we're going to bring you a squad room. And then after that, we're going to be playing Tales of the Texas Ranger for the rest of this season, season 13, and uh, into season 14. And actually, we would have gotten into Tales of the Texas Ranger uh, sooner, but I essentially after we got into playing the Silent Men, I discovered these two other series, so I decided we'd pick uh, these two up before we uh, got into uh, Tales of the Texas Ranger. Now to listener comments and feedback. And we have a question from Alicia. Alicia writes, if I remember right, uh, you said you're going to be doing Tales of the Texas Ranger. I wonder if the same people who wrote The Silent Men were the same as those that wrote The Tale, uh, the Texas Rangers. The music is uh, the same on both shows, and the setup is the same. One person playing all the uh, leader uh, roles. Only difference is uh, Ranger uh, Jace Pierce, uh, Pearson always takes the case. Uh, well, thanks so much for the question, Alicia. And in answer to the question... I, I do think there there is, you know, a difference, you know. The Silent Men, of course, was an anthology series where each week uh, we would have a different uh, character. And even if those differences were somewhat superficial, you know, Tales of the Texas Ranger, we do have the same lead every week. Uh, they don't have the same writer. The music is the same on the series, at least uh, like the incidental music, because NBC at the time uh, was doing this thing with its mystery series where essentially uh, the mystery series got to have its own opening theme tune. But then all of the little incidental music 
uh, it would be the same, you know, whether you're listening to Tales of the Texas Ranger or you're listening to The Silent Men or you're listening to Rocky Fortune, you're going to hear those same little bits of library music played over and over and over again. Uh, you know, which I think goes back to the fact that you know, after the uh, end of the 1940s, radio uh, saw a lot of efforts to cut costs. And one way that NBC did that is that they used uh, library music and the same library music repeatedly on multiple programs. Uh, but thanks so much for the question, Alicia. And I do want to go ahead now and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to James, Patreon supporter since February 2020, currently supporting the show at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. And if you'd like to join James and more than uh, 250 other Patreon supporters, you can go to patreon.greatdetectives.net and support the show for as little as $2 per month. That will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. We will be back tomorrow with a listener support special. And then uh, next Tuesday, we'll be bringing you The Adventures of Bill Lance. And then uh, next Saturday, we'll be getting into Squad Room. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.